Hello. Oh, hello there. Welcome to Sword Explained. Welcome to our podcast. Fancy seeing you here. Yeah. yeah. It's been a little while. We missed everyone. We missed you all. We did. The adoring love letters were, you know, less, only like three tons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could have used a little bit more, but it's fine. I like getting mail regardless. <laughs> I love getting mail. I do. That's why I send you a card every so often. I sent send... you a fun little mail thing recently. You sure did. <laughs> We're mail girls. We're mail girls. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Sounds we... like mail, like M-A-L-E. <laughs> We're mail girls. <laughs> I'm a proud ma- post-mail, snail mail girl. P- that? What is the, what's the acronym? USPS. I'm yeah. a USPS princess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Kellen Dockery. Yeah, and I'm Leah Nielsen. Yeah, and this is our podcast. Thank you for the mail. We're ready to explain something to you. Ready to explain it into your ears. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to let it rip on this oh, one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm coming in hot. Good. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, good. Because... It's coming. It's okay. here we go. I'm <laughs> I'm doing my calisthenics. I'm warming up. I have an episode for you, Leah. Okay. Um, that you actually mentioned very Ooh. briefly in our last episode. You like Ooh. made a joke about it, and I didn't really say anything because I was like, "Don't talk about this, Leah." I have a whole podcast ready. You, oh, it. you already had it when we were talking last time. Yeah, I had like half of it written up. <sighs> Cool, cool. And you didn't really say much. You just like very briefly said the word. And I was like, don't talk about don't, that too much. Go deeper. <laughs> so this episode has a lot of Kellenisms in it. There's going to be a lot of death, um, a lot of corpses to be exact. Oh, wow. Multiple fatalities. Uh, it also involves the government, governmental agencies, hallucinations, and a lot a lot of poop oh okay so i think you know where this is going i literally don't i can't remember it's been a while so i'm gonna be explaining to you something that could not in a million years would i be able to ever handle this if you are into though like losing your critical thinking skills uh having your lungs collapse and losing your limbs to frostbite then you oh. have a lovely tourist destination that is Mount Everest. Yes, I knew. Okay, now I know. <laughs> I'm on the train. <laughs> was it the frostbite? It was the frostbite, yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, so today's episode was inspired by three main things. Uh, one was an episode of Last Week Tonight that ran like years ago, and I just kept thinking about because I was like, this is so wild. And then another one was an episode of Adam Ruins Everything with Adam Conover that also was wild. And then recently, I just read the book uh, Into Thin Air, A Personal Account of the Mount Everest Disaster by John Krakauer. Whoa. Those were my three main references for that. I I mean, the book, that's a real reference. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I read the book and then I was like, this is crazy. I got to talk about this some more because I just couldn't handle it. It was a wild read. Yeah. Definitely recommend it. 
he also wrote, wrote Into the Wild, which Oh, about the I don't know if you ever read that, but yeah. Oh it's no like no no. a very college book. Wait, I I keep getting is Into the Wild the one where they made the Reese Witherspoon movie, or is it the guy that ran into the woods and died in the bus? <laughs> so I understand your confusion because in there's Into the Wild and there's Wild. <laughs> they didn't get very different in titles, but Wild is the one with Reese Witherspoon okay. that I watched on an airplane, <laughs> and then Into the Wild is with Emilio Estevez dying in the bus. Right, got it. Good. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, so John Krakauer, I mean, I like his books. I think his books, somebody described it on a different podcast of like books that are actually good, but also sell out at airports, which is like uh -huh. a weird Venn diagram because you don't see that very often. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Uh, but anyway, let's get into Mount Everest. Yeah. Who is she? I well, don't honestly know much about her. <laughs> you're, get ready to get intimidated because oh, she's okay. hefty you know big lady she's a big girl <laughs> and she is strong and she is powerful so she is the earth's highest mountain above sea level located in the sub range of the himalayas she sits on the border of china and nepal okay. it is considered to be about 60 million years old so okay. she old yeah and elevation at the top is twenty nine thousand thirty two feet now, for contrast, Leah, Denver's elevation, and Denver is called the Mile High City because we're high up, is right. 5,279. Oh, and Baltimore, wow. I needed to look it up, is 33 feet. <laughs> yeah, we're sea level. That's why, that's why I can't handle Denver. It's, uh, I, last time I went, which is the only time I was like pretty sick for a while. Yeah. Like, I'm, my, yeah. I'm used to being on the sea. <laughs> <laughs> You need to be low to the ground. I do. I'm down to earth. <laughs> yeah. If you got sick at Red Rocks in Denver, yeah. I don't know how you'd be faring on Mount Everest. I it's would barely that. make it to like, <laughs> like, I don't even know, the first quarter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the, I've never even hiked a 14er, which is 14,000 feet. And that's like the big thing here. I've Dang. only gotten to 13,000 feet and Dang. that I was struggling and some of my friends that have lived here longer are just like jaunting up the and I'm like what what I got east coast lungs like what are yeah. you guys doing yeah so it's tough <laughs> now the local Tibetan name for Mount Everest is uh Chomalungma Ooh, <laughs> which <beautiful>. means <laughs> I like that you said it <laughs> I had to sing it to get it out. I didn't really mean to, but it, that happened. Uh, that means goddess of the sky. Beautiful. So in fact, she is a lady. Nice. So that's, that's the fact. It's a girl. Yeah. <laughs> and it's human nature that when humans see something powerful, we really want to dominate it. You see a tall mountain, you're like, I got to climb that. I got to get to the top. I got to that mountain i i got power over that and that is how we got stuck climbing mount everest for so long yeah. um, if anyone has ever climbed it in like ancient times like we have no idea highly unlikely but who knows yeah how many like, archaeological expeditions are there in everest like it seems like it's more just a adrenaline thing yeah i don't think they got a lot of research going on up there yeah but 
unless you're like a researcher and a alpinist together yeah. and you're like i guess i'll do some work up there for the good of the archaeological <laughs> society yeah <laughs> and so yeah it wasn't until 1885 that clinton thomas dent president of the alpine club suggested summiting mount everest in mm-hmm. this uh book above the snow line he just was like crazy idea what if we did this and then and i bet you people were like you're mad <laughs> yeah <laughs> they were like are you sure uh Why, but that, some people <laughs> took it and ran with it <laughs> so in the early 1920s a british reconnaissance team attempted to reach the mountaintop they had a couple of attempts in those years they did make a lot of progress that no one had ever made before. They were slowly, you know, getting up there, um, but nothing was successful. And then in 1924, George Mallory and Andrew Irvine were ready to set out for the summit. However, they just never returned. Um, they later did find their bodies, and it's up for debate if the men actually made it to the top and died on oh. the way down or if they died on the way up. So it's not sure if they made it to the top, but since they died, can't, what you going to do? Can't confirm. You don't, yeah, you, you don't get the award That's if you died. Like, Sorry. In all those like early 20s or like 1800s expedition, people were supposed to keep super detailed journals. Like I feel like that helps a lot. And yeah. they should have done that because it would have been like, we are to the peak. Yeah. <laughs> and <then> like, died. <laughs> Yeah, post stamp it, date and time. We have made it to the peak, not dead yet. And then when we find your journal, halfway down the mountain, we can put it together. (laughs) And throughout the 30s, you had some expeditions make attempts. They were mostly British because that's just like the British way. You know, they're always trying to meddle in things and, oh, let us just come over and get our paws on it. Maybe take over. We don't know. The empire. So they were just all over it. Uh, But it wasn't until 1952, um, when some Swiss climbers attempted, they started coming into the picture. They were like, we know mountains, let us get in here. Uh, Also unsuccessful. They had very strong winds, and they just could not make it up any further. Hmm. Even the Swiss couldn't do it. Yeah. If the Swiss can't do it, nobody can. That's what I say. Yeah. (laughs) Now, that, that takes us to 1953. And we have Sir Edmund Percival Hillary. And Hillary was a New Zealand mountaineer. (laughs) He was an explorer and a philanthropist. There we go. Money. He's a rich man. (laughs) (laughs) If you have to put the philanthropist at the end, yes. Um, And he spent most of his life mountaineering. Because what else are you going to do? Work? Like, he's like, I I can climb a mountain. Work for a living? I climb mountains. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess there's a lot of mountains in New Zealand. I've never been, but I'm sure he had hmm. some good practice. But isn't it um, kind of volcanic? Am I wrong about that? Oh, yeah, they have that volcano that like killed a bunch of people a while uh, back. Yeah. I remember that. And Lord of the Rings. A lot of Lord of the Rings was filmed in New Zealand. So yeah, that's true. That, that is the only like note of landscape in New Zealand that I know, <laughs> and it was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and he was also part of the British expedition team and the Swiss. So he was like part of both of those. Okay. And he was also a pilot in the New Zealand Air Force in World War II. So he just had like a bunch of good qualifications. So if like anyone's going to make it up there, it'd probably be him. His LinkedIn and... for this summit is good. 
pot. He is connected on there. <laughs> His network He's is getting all those DMs from recruiters being like, hey. Do you want to climb Everest? <laughs> I'm definitely not a bot. Do you want to apply for this job? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're not real, are you? Mm-mm. <laughs> So Hillary was with his climbing partner, who was a Nep- Nepalese Sherpa named Tenzing Norgay. And I'll talk a bit more about the actual role of Sherpas later, because that's oh, like yeah. a whole thing. And they are super crucial. Um, but just for this part, on the morning of May 29th, 1953, Norgay and Hillary reached the top of Everest. And they were the first documented ascent. They made it. It was they a did it. big to-do. And they became very famous. Uh, Hillary was knighted by Queen Elizabeth shortly after her coronation. So she was like, I'm queen. Get over here. Let me put that sword on your shoulders. Get off that mountain and put on this (laughs) suit of armor. (laughs) So I guess that's why he became a sir, I'm assuming. Um, Norgay. thing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what you do with it. But, you just have to be addressed by it, I feel like. You're yeah. like, no. Call or me. is that, do you become a lord? Oh, do you become do a they lord? give you land That's a thing. still? <laughs> is it still like a that... <laughs> What is the monarchy? <laughs> I have questions. Are there ladies that have been knighted? What are they called? Yeah. Miss? Well, when you, who's Dame Judy Dent? She's something. Oh, yeah. She's something. I, I think I'm a dame. You just... I'm not sure she, do you get damed or are you born into damehood? I thought you got damed. Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> got damned. <laughs> Some British person is really annoyed. Yeah, they're like, how do you not know our rules? <laughs> I'm like, listen, we don't have all your fancy titles. Just come over here. We have a president that we hate and then a bunch of other people we don't like. And that's fine. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Which I guess is also the monarchy, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> now, Norgay, I think this is because he was a uh, citizen of India, so he couldn't be a knight. Like, he wasn't allowed to be knighted. Although that doesn't make sense because neither is Hillary. But I don't know if India had a thing but that he couldn't. Whatever it was, he did not get knighted, but he got the uh, some, like, medal of honor. So it was like, here you go. Okay. And then he just went back to Nepal, I guess. Prejudiced. (laughs) Yeah. Was it racial? Who's to say? Probably it's the monarchy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to throw probably. Uh, And this was, though, a huge deal. Um, No one had been to the top before. They were like, guys, what's up there? Nothing. Nothing is up there, obviously. It's snow, it's rocks, it's clouds, it's wind. It's mostly clouds. You really, you can't see anything. Yeah, you're like in the sky. (laughs) But since this initial summit, people have been making expeditions to keep climbing. For the next 35 years after Norgay and Hillary's ascent, only 260 ascents were made. But in the 1990s, that number grew to from 1900, or sorry, grew to 1900 in 2003. And now there are over 9,000 ascents in total. So it's going up very very quickly since the last 20 years well i feel like gear has a has a role in that you know Mm -hmm. like we got some good gear now you could basically scuba dive your way up there and be like (laughs) 
fine, <laughs> you know, because you can breathe. <laughs> true, true. You can go to an REI and a Patagonia, drop like five grand, and you'll probably have everything. Imagine so let's walking into an REI and talking to a sales associate and being like, hey, uh, what do I need to get to the top of Everest? <laughs> and they like honestly help you out. <laughs> yeah. I was just at REI like two days ago because I needed to buy a sleeping bag. And it's just like in Boulder, it's just like CU kids. So yeah. it's just like some college bro being like, oh, Mount Everest, sure. Uh, I got you, man. <laughs> Do you need some Tifas? Like, no. <laughs> so to climb Mount Everest, there's really a couple main basics that anyone needs to be aware of. Because um, Leah, I know you're considering it. So this is mostly for your benefit before yeah, you go. Yeah. Graduate, summit Everest, you know, yeah, have a long career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two big life accomplishments done in a year. Perfect. Yeah. So the time, uh, basically, let's consider the time involved first. So, quote, if you are interested in climbing up Mount Everest, then you will also need up to three months to make the journey. It takes 19 days round trip to trek to and from Everest Base Camp. Okay. Once at Everest Base Camp, it then takes an average of 40 days to climb to the peak of Mount Everest. So wow. that already, I did not know it would take that long. <laughs> so Base Camp is just like kind of high up on the mountain right like the basic base camp is like just like just at the, the mountain, bottom just at the base the oh bottom. okay oh so it's like there's yeah. no they mean there's like no cities or nothing near base camp like it like why would yeah they say and i think days to get there Well, there are a couple different base camps because, okay. like, obviously, like, you get to one base camp and you stay there a little bit and then you get to the next one up a little ways away. Um, I think a lot of it is just, like, getting ready to go up. You have okay. to, like, go through this long, like, process and there's all this bureaucracy. Oh, okay. Um, but to actually, yeah, once you actually start going up, I mean, I'm sure base camp is not, like, ground level yeah. But it's just, like, where no other commoners are. They're not right. looking over there. But, okay, and but. then it takes you 40 days up and down, or just 40 days up, 40 days down? It says 40 days to climb to the peak of Everest. Damn. So okay. that did not include coming down. The way back down. Jesus. That's a lot more than I thought it was. Yeah, because yeah. it does say it'll take three months in total, so. Yeah. Okay. That's a long, well, I was like, I think before I did this, I was like, I guess it takes like a week or two. Yeah, that's like, what I not. I just thought it was really arduous, like it didn't take that long, but it was like hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it takes a long but time, and when I was reading the book, and hard. I was just like, I was like, buddy, you're not even close to the top. And like, already all this stuff is happening. So yeah, yeah. it's a long journey. And what's the weather, you ask? Well, we already know the answer is not going to be warm, breezy, and humid and relaxing. Uh, <laughs> because the weather too, you can't just climb Everest whenever. The prime time is about a 10-day window in May. 
So it's not like you can just go whenever to climb. You like have to plan it out years in advance of like, okay, I'm going on this window right now. Um, sometimes the window's a little bit bigger. Sometimes it's smaller depending on the year, but it's basically like, I mean, right now it's May. So maybe we're in the window right now. So you better get going. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now the warmest temperatures recorded were about negative 19 degrees and the average at the top being about negative 36. A little brisk. Fahrenheit. Okay. Still bad. I had to convert everything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a lot of this wasn't Celsius. I was like, I don't know what that means. I'm an <laughs> yeah. American. Uh, and the lowest recorded temperature ever was negative 42. Damn. So, so we're talking like bone chilling will freeze your nose off yeah. quickly kind of way. Frost Which I also don't think frostbite I Frostbite comes into play. Yeah. Yeah, because I knew, I was like, oh, it's definitely cold up there, but you don't think about it. And then you're like, you read it, and you're like, negative 42 degrees. That's that's insane. It's insanely cold. <laughs> I fall apart if it's like zero degrees outside. I can't yeah. function. So. I remember one day in Ithaca, it was negative 18. And they really canceled class. <laughs> Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. They were like, I mean, you cannot walking to walk class, you'll. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't like it wasn't snowing. There wasn't any winter weather. They were just like, it's too cold. We cannot force you guys to go. Yeah. To school. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah. My anthropology class is not worth the. Your nose. <laughs> the frostbite. <laughs> Now, you will, of course, need a guided expedition to climb up unless you really have a death wish and they're like, I'm going to go alone. Um, so that can usually cost you, on average, about $45,000. So this also is not a cheap trip. Damn. <laughs> now, there are also two major routes that all commercial expeditions follow. And this is either on the Tibetan side or the Nepalese side of the mountain. The Tibetan side is more technically challenging, um, and the Chinese government, they have a lot more rules and regulations on climbing permits, and they make it a lot harder. Um, so that side is not as popular. The Nepalese side, however, it is a bit easier, technically speaking, and the Nepalese government is way more lax. They're just like, whatever, bro. Yeah. All you need to do to climb on the Nepalese side is to have $11,000 for the permit, and you have to have a doctor's note claiming you're physically fit. Okay. So what I'm saying is technically, like, anybody can do it if they've got 11 grand, because getting a doctor's note is not hard. Yeah. Okay. Now, the Nepalese government knows that not everyone coming to Everest is going to make it or is even fit to even try it. Right. Uh, they even admitted that maybe about 50 to 55 percent of the people that come are not qualified. And did <laughs> like they this guy stop them or did they just be like, OK, have fun. <laughs> they just let them in. Yeah, okay. gonna take, well, yeah about 50 percent probably won't make it like, to the top. <laughs> they not are necessarily that they not necessarily that they would die, but oh, they would just like okay. have to turn back around at a certain point. Okay. And that like they're just not gonna make it the whole way. Um and then I mean they have to know that some of them will die. Yeah. Someone's got so, to die. So 
Why is Nepal letting this happen? The short and the long answer is the same answer. And it all just comes down to money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it's how they're making money. Nepal is a very low income nation. They're tiny. Um, tourism is not very high there, but like with everything else, the main tourist industry is just the Mount Everest people. And the Nepalese government feels they can't say no to all of this money coming in because they just don't have the capital coming anywhere else. So okay. it's all kind of being exploited by Nepal that, you know, they can't really do much. They just kind of have to let these climbers in if they're going to be throwing tens of thousands of dollars at them, basically. Yeah. But it's not just the government of Nepal. Uh, it's also these climbing expedition companies that are getting money. So again, the average is about 45K. Um, but there are cheaper ones, like $30,000. But I say it's like a tattoo. Don't get it cheap. <laughs> it is important. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> yeah. don't get a $30,000 one. Uh, some range as high as $160,000. Damn. Yeah, you don't so want to really skimp on your uh, Everest <laughs> expedition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's not like there can be that much of a difference between like thirty and like $50,000 in terms of like help that you're getting up the mountain. But when it comes down to it, I think you want the extra, whatever comes extra, which is mostly yeah. probably just more experienced people going with you. Yeah. I like the 106,000 or whatever. That's like the glamping of Everest expeditions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you have lobster like halfway through. Yeah, a little tin of caviar. <laughs> yeah, it's $160 is like the highest price. And you can only imagine like the type of people who are on that tour. Yeah, damn. <laughs> And I don't know if I put this in there, but it was on last week tonight. They were kind of talking about the fancy tours that are basically glamping. Like you have a heated tent, you have like a table set out and like dinner provided and all this stuff. And it's like, aren't you on the side of a mountain? Like what, what is happening? It's like this like, weird commercialization. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? The cheap ones, yeah, they'll let anybody climb, it seems. Um, there was this one company, Utmost Adventure Trekking, and they got in a lot of hot water because they allowed this Canadian woman who had zero climbing experience to go on their expedition. They yeah. basically said, oh, we'll teach you everything. Like, you'll be good to go. They had to teach her how to put on her crampons, like on her boots, oh, and how yeah. to like tie into the rope. Oh no. Oh, uh, she she did make it to the summit. Oh, uh she, okay. she did not make it down alive though. She died oh. on the way. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How like how much of it for some reason I just picture it as incline hiking. How much of it is like repelling level steep? You know? I'm I don't know how much but I know that when I was reading Into Thin Air, there were definitely parts where it's like, you are on this rope, you are climbing up this steep mountain for hours. Okay. Like, okay. And you can't do, like, you're stuck, but, like, you can't just stop. So you're just, right. like, going up. And I think it depends on the day and where you are in the mountain. But, 
yeah, there's a lot of that and a lot of like crossing these like very treacherous, like ice shoal glacier parts and like a lot of crevasses that you do not want to fall into, turns out. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but it's basically, I mean, the way they make it sound is that it's just like, it's all uphill. It's just all stairs. Right, right. Now, let's talk about death for a second. Okay. I've been dying to talk about death. <laughs> Because that woman's death is not surprising, and it's only a vast amount of deaths on the mountain. Because a lot of these people are like her. They don't have a lot of experience, but a lot of expeditions are just like, we'll take your money and we'll see what happens. Maybe yeah. you'll survive, maybe not. Um, in fact, for every 10 successful summits, there is one death. Whoa, okay. That's a lot. So not a not a great stat. I don't love it. Yeah. <laughs> I would not feel good at base camp being like, okay, let's go. Yeah. And it's estimated that at least uh, 310 people are dead on the mountain. Right. I did know the thing about, like, it's kind of gross because people can't be, like, hiked back out because it makes it too Mm -hmm. dangerous for the other people. Yeah. Yeah, this is where it gets wild because, yeah, basically what happens to a corpse on a mountain Nobody can get them down, most likely, unless they are in, like, a really good, advantageous spot. Um, Otherwise, they're just kind of there. And they're not decomposing, I tell you that, because it's cold. And they are frozen solid. Right. So, they're just there, frozen. Um, All their mountain gear. Sometimes people find a corpse, and they're like, oh, mountain gear, I could take some of this, and, like, loot them. And it's like, I mean, what you gonna do? Like, it's in any other scenario, that'd be kind of gross, but in this case, it's like, I might need this to survive. Yeah. So, yeah, not there's and that. Um, Another like, thing with the corpses... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say is that they use them as markers yeah. of like, oh, if you turn right, you'll see this dead body. That's Jim. Like, that means you're on the right path. Just like, go past him and then you're going to climb up some more. There's Tammy. And then make a sharp left at Tammy. That's crazy. And it's also just like, how are these people mentally not like, okay, like, passing another dead body, passing another dead body, and they're just like still going like da- down to just like keep doing this. After seeing so many yeah. people dead. <laughs> I have no idea. Because I think if I ever saw a dead body, I'd be like, I'm, I I don't want to be anywhere near here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the time they're like partially covered in snow. So it's just like boots sticking out. But still, it's not great. Yeah. I do. I don't know so, if yeah. you're going to bring it up, but I know of one famous one. Do you- hmm, I don't think I'm going to bring it up, but no? I'll see Okay, okay. Let me see. So the mountain is littered with dead people, and it's just normal for new hikers to see them. They use them as markers. They'll take their stuff. Um, It's all just kind of like this creepy little fantasy novel of like, oh, so-and-so is at the marker. Um, But you know what else is with you every step of your journey on (laughs) to the top other than dead bodies? Uh, For one thing, there's a ton of garbage. So there's three years a cleanup expedition went out and collected over 24,000 pounds of garbage. Jeez. Which is a lot of garbage. And I'm sure they probably weren't getting that high up. (laughs) 
just crashing Everest. Jeez. Yeah, 24,000 pounds. And many climbers, they do eventually abandon like their tents and their poles and their oxygen masks and other stuff. Because, you know, if you're on your way down and you don't think you need it anymore, you want to get any weight off of you that you can. Um, so people are just throwing stuff left and right and just leaving stuff everywhere. There's no yeah, garbage geez. cans up there. Jeez. And sometimes you're also too weak to carry anything. So you're just like, oh, you know, you know, survival of the fittest. You just got to go. And yeah, so every year it's thought that the mountain accumulates 50 new tons of trash a year. Great. Tons. Jeez. Yeah, we're just trashing the crap out of it. Now, also, we got to talk about the poop. I got to talk to you about the poop um, because this Everyone pooping is just... on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, which I was surprised because I know, like, obviously, if you're there for 40 days, you're going to be pooping. You're pooping but, like, I. I would just think I'd be so constipated the whole time. <laughs> Why? You're exercising the whole time. <laughs> I guess, but like you're so cold. Imagine you're scared. At negative forty. <laughs> yeah, I just and you can't be eating that much. I bet you're not getting the fiber you need. I don't know. I so. feel like you're eating a lot to try to off balance the calories of, you know, strenuous activity all day every day. Yeah, I feel like they're just eating like one big calorie bar. Yeah, that's like really high a billion calories. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to keep you going. But I don't know. I don't really know what they were eating up there. Um, but I do know they were pooping. Uh, because pooping. the mountain accumulates almost twenty six thousand pounds of poop and pee a year. Great, <laughs> and it just freezes. It just stays there. <laughs> just little frozen turds all over the place. Oh my God which like at least they're frozen and they're not like watery it's not like hot poop but still it's not great <laughs> not great uh the plus side to all of that is that the poop is slowly starting to slide down the mountain um climate change the, thing <laughs> the downside is that the reason is climate change <laughs> yeah i knew it i knew it <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Everest is just gonna turn into a giant poop slide. That is like <laughs> Yep. Poop and trash. It's <laughs> this horrible tourist attraction of like, come here for tickets and you can go down the poop slide. <laughs> uh the Washington Post even called this situation a quote fecal time bomb, which is a pretty funny name to give it. Uh like they're just kind of making it seem like one day Kathmandu is just gonna have to deal with like a shit tsunami or like maybe not even that dramatic but it will slide down to base camp and infect the water supply oh! and it's gonna be a whole mess it's gonna like hurt the people of Nepal because their water is gonna be contaminated oh great yeah so a lot of good things so far. I don't think I talk about a famous corpse. So I want to come okay. back to your famous corpse. I gotta bring it up. So there's, I know this, for some reason, it's like some morbid, like, thing I got interested in in a bit. But there's a guy named Green Boots. And he's just got really, like, neon green boots. And he's just a super famous body. Because he's, I guess, placed at a specific point. Like, I think it might be, like, halfway or something. Mm. But I, I did look into uh, Green Boots at one point. And it's just this dude that died, like, in the 90s. And they, like, know who he was. 
Wow. Yeah. Imagine that happens to you when you're dead. Just people using your corpse and you're just frozen up there. Yeah. Like, it's not the worst thing. It's, <laughs> I guess it's, it's like, he died doing what he wanted to do. And uh, now he's like, I guess, helping people. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of philanthropic in a way. I mean, if you do love climbing, that's probably a nice resting place for you. Yeah. Depending on how you were feeling before you died. Yeah. If you were like, oh, I made a horrible mistake. What was I thinking? Yeah. But yeah. Well, we you know, say you get past these three obstacles, the poop tsunami, uh, the dead bodies, the weather, everything. Uh, you've got the months of free time to spare. You've got the money for the permits. You got your expedition team. You got your gear. Yeah. You get through all of that. What else is going to be in your way? Well, there's the natural elements like avalanches, falling oh, right. rocks, right. whiteouts, right. <laughs> shifting <Right>. ice, <laughs> and the classic falling down into a crevasse. Crevasse. <laughs> <laughs> I think a crevasse is the scariest thing for some reason. I don't know why. I think it's, it's because it combines a tight space and falling. It freaks me out. Falling, tight space, and then like, who's, how do you get out? Like, who's going to help you out of that? I yeah, mean, I you just the people you're with hopefully but like geez what if you're yeah really hopefully yeah and then sometimes they might not be able to get you out i don't right. know they leave you for dead right and they're just like well there's another landmark <laughs> like don't fall in kellen's crevasse because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh i get it named after me i'm so proud that's nice but also just like weird like yeah. girls i don't know it's just like that's kellen's crevasse <laughs> <laughs> don't talk that way about Thanks. my crevasse she's got it out there it's just showing everyone <laughs> everyone's been over my crevasse no <laughs> one's gotten in yet <laughs> no I'm very no particular about who comes through. in no one comes in and joins me yeah <laughs> so the most deadly part of the climb is the kombu ice fall which Whoa. I must say, if you want to have just like an instant shot of anxiety straight into your veins, just go on YouTube, watch the video they had on last week tonight of Sherpas climbing over this huge icy crevasse with three ladders tied together, like one oh, on top of the other. God. It is the wildest thing I've seen. And they just, yeah, they tie three on top of each other, super long ladder, just throw it over. And just start, you know, paddling over. Not paddling, but, you know, crawling over. Crawling over. Hope you don't fall in. Yeah. And that's, like, a big one where if you're going to die, it's it could very likely be that at that spot. Um, so if you have a fear of heights, go watch it. It's super fun. Jeez. <laughs> and you can only imagine how many dead bodies are down there. Right. And those are, like... You don't even really see those ones or know about those ones until you're down there. <laughs> yeah. And what else is down there? We have no idea. Godzilla, a monster, we don't know. Who knows? What's creeping in there? What's that movie, uh, The Descent? Have you ever seen yeah, that movie? Yeah, I haven't. I've seen images from it and it scares me. <laughs> They're in a yeah, cave, if you. Right? Yeah, it's like these girls that go like spelunking in like a cave and it's like, oh, there's like creepy mutants in the mountain that'll like eat you and that's fine. But like the tight spaces that they're jammed into, I was like, I can't watch this. This is too 
This yeah. is so terrifying. Just it's, like, let me squeeze my body. It's a lot of elements of scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, your own mortal body is basically the thing that's going to really just kill you if none of these other things get to you. Because there are so many horrible things that can just like happen inside of your body at 29,000 feet up a yeah. mountain. Yeah. So it should be stated that almost everyone who climbs Mount Everest now um, does it with oxygen masks. Yeah. I mean, you basically need it. Uh, Norgay and Hillary, they didn't have them way back in the day. Right. And there are still like a lot of people that are like weird, like purists about and like, I don't need oxygen. You're not really climbing the mountain if you're wearing oxygen. It's cheating. I mean, it's like a weird elitist group. <laughs> That's like even more, so it's like elitist to be like, yeah, I climbed Mount Everest, but then it's like double elitist to be like, I climbed Mount Everest without oxygen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I didn't even need that wimpy thing you call oxygen. My lungs are fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you can do it. I mean, not everyone can do it. A lot of people will die without it. I think I would die for sure. I'd die at base camp. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would need it at base camp, but it's already at, like, such and such feet. Like, good lord. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, even with oxygen, um, you have to be really careful that you don't use it all up too quickly, because if you do, well, you're out. So, you have to ration it a lot. And John Krakauer was talking a lot about how he had his oxygen, and he was out, and then he needed more, and he was freaking out, and then you have to ration it, and you're down to these, like, tiny little breaths. And it's just, like, it's terrifying because you feel like you're just, like, suffocating out in the wild. Yeah, Which is so a scary. crazy concept. That's very scary. Yeah. And so you have to have, like, these canisters, but you have to be able, you have to carry them up the mountain. I mean, so you got to just, like, have what you can handle. Um, and if your mask malfunctions, you're really fucked because that can happen sometimes. <laughs> and yeah. the oxygen is just not coming out. And there's nothing you can really do sometimes. It gets, like, frozen shut, like the tube. Yeah. And so, yeah. Jeez, that's so scary. Imagine yeah. being on a mountain, but you're just, suff- like, suffocating. Yeah. You're just, like, looking around at your friends, like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> a bad way to go. <laughs> uh, some other fun things can happen. You can get pneumonia. You can have a pounding headache or a migraine, dizziness, nausea, excessive coughing, and I mean like crack a rib excessive, like bad excessive, um, loss of appetite, loss of coordination, frostbite, severe exhaustion, dehydration, and motion sickness. Yeah. So all things that make it very difficult to climb a mountain. That sounds so terrible. Yeah. And the biggest cause of death, of course, is going to be your lack of oxygen. Um, I'm no scientist, but the higher up you go, the less oxygen your body has to absorb oxygen. And then the deprivation can cause AMS or acute motion sickness. Oh. Sorry. Acute mountain sickness. That's different. (laughs) I was like, motion sickness. (laughs) So it's acute mountain sickness, uh, AMS, and this can cause a lot of issues. I already mentioned like dizziness, headaches, nausea, fatigue, but AMS really happens the worst when you ascend too quickly. So if you go up too fast, 
you're it's not gonna be good which is probably also why it takes so long because you have to like take your time basically uh yeah. your body can't handle too big of a change in elevation too quickly um because it, it'll just be overloaded and you're also on a steep icy mountain so you just gotta kind of can't be sprinting up that bad boy yeah so there's also hypoxia which right. is what happens when there are low levels of oxygen in your blood tissues this can cause confusion, restlessness, difficulty breathing, rapid heart rate, and bluish skin, which also seems like frostbite is coming for you if you're getting blue, but, yeah, you know. Um, it can get so bad to the point where your brain is swelling and is basically being squeezed out through your skull, and the only outlet is your spine. God. So just picture that for a second. That's so awful. <laughs> yeah, it sounds real bad. If my brain is getting squeezed out through my skull, it's it's not going well. No. And like, why would I want to do that to myself? <laughs> right? Yeah. And like, I can't imagine that once you do make it down, that you're going to be just like normal. Like, there has to be like, health repercussions like months or years or like forever afterwards I'm not sure but I just think like if your brain goes through that kind of trauma yeah it's gonna like have it does some seem like you should have to have like long lasting effects yeah like Everest migraines brain. forever or something yeah god <laughs> I get those and I haven't even climbed Mount Everest, <laughs> yeah, so I'm a little salty <laughs> I know so if your body your physical body can make it, it's not a guarantee that your mental state is going to make it because there's altitude sickness that can cause low cognition, memory issues, hallucinations, and just overall psychosis. So Ew. just, you know, all the fun stuff. Um, basically, when your body is this high up and fighting for its life in every way possible, your mental state is just going to go haywire. Like you're just losing it at all in all cylinders. Yeah. Now, when climbing a mountain and having hallucinations, it's good to find the silver lining. And in this case, that's going to be the third man factor. And this is basically where mountaineers will think there's another person right next to them, climbing with them, talking Ooh. to them. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. There was a British explorer named Frank Smith who, quote, he recounted how at one point on the ascent, he reached into his pocket, pulled out a slab of Kendall mint cake, broke it in half, and turned around to give the other half to a companion. But there was no one there. All the time that I was climbing alone, I had a strong feeling that I was accompanied by a second person. The feeling was so strong that it completely eliminated all loneliness I might otherwise have felt. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, he just wanted to give his buddy some cake. Yeah. <laughs> and they could be thought of as guardian angels because these hallucinations are usually there to add comfort and support to the climber who is clearly going through it. It's so, like your brain just being like, oh, we need some help. Like, yeah, <laughs> let's just um, make you an imaginary friend real yeah. quick because you're going <laughs> to die real soon. You're about to die. You need an imaginary friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I would have a nice imaginary friend going up there with me. Like, come on, girl, like, we're almost there. What if it was like your nemesis, though? What if it was like an evil twin? 
Ooh. And she was gonna make it up quicker than me. That might make you. I mean, it would make me like so competitive that I would live. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's the top, good... and then I would. She would disappear because I'm not competitive anymore because I'm just trying to get back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I die on the descent. I feel like I'd be one of those people that would die on the descent. <laughs> yeah, me too. If I don't die on the way up, I'm dying on the way down. Yeah, no I'm matter what, living. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm either in a crevasse or I'm buried under some snow and you're looking at my boots. <laughs> <laughs> now, a heartbreaking example of this, however, the third man factor is in Into Thin Air, um, the memoir. Uh, John Krakauer is climbing and there's a part where on his descent, his guide or his expedition leader is heading down and watching him climb down a certain stretch and get right next to the camp. And he tells others that he saw this guy. He was like, oh, Rob made it to camp because I saw him go down. And he does say, like, it was kind of weird. He just, like, brushed right past me. And he, like, didn't really say much to me. We didn't really talk. But I saw him go down. Like, he made it to base camp. And hmm. so, basically, he tells someone they radio to base camp. And then the base camp, the main base camp, radios his wife in New Zealand and is like, hey, just so you know, Rob made it to this crucial point. And since he made it here and he like didn't get in this deadly storm, he's probably going to survive. Like he's probably going to make it home. He's good to go. Okay. And the sad thing is that that is not actually the man that he saw and was speaking to. He was, in fact, talking to a completely different climber. Huh. Uh, Rob was actually stuck way up at the top and died. Jeez. And John was not thinking clearly and just plain seeing things, and he got confused. And very tragically, he had to then relay the message to camp. They had to call the woman back and be like, sorry, we messed up. Your husband died. Oh, God. Crazy to that call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not great. So that's a bummer. Um, Into Thin Air has a lot of accounts of just like things are not going well and people are not thinking clearly. Um, people were trying to just like get rid of vital gear. Like you're not just not thinking, and someone just like tried to like throw away their oxygen tank, even though it was full. And people oh. had to be like, no, keep that. You you need that. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and people just like stopping and sitting and staring into like nothing and like eyes glazed over not able to think a single thought just like yeah. dead inside like your brain is just scary. not thinking that's scary so all of that yeah is insane and for his first timer on Everest I mean it's wild anyone survives um, none of these expeditions, the British, the New Zealanders, the Americans, the South Africans, the Australians, the Swiss, the Germans, etc. None of these people would make it at all, um, including Edmund Hillary, if it were not for the crucial character being the Sherpa. Yeah. This is where we're going to talk about Sherpas. Because basically, Sherpas are the mountain workers who help these expeditions with basically everything. They carry the gear, they guide the group. They secure the ropes. Uh, they throw those ladders together and haul you over an ice cliff. Uh, they basically do everything. They make sure you don't die, pretty much. And Sherpas are mostly indigenous to the Himalayan region, and thus they are acclimated well to the altitude. It's in their genetics. It's what they were born into. 
they're let's just say way more qualified than us to be helping people up a mountain just lung capacity alone right yeah and it's very important to give these people credit because again they are all experts all these rich tourists would die without them and yeah. yet you don't hear too much about them do you because no. they're just they're not like in the background this person summited you know they yeah mm-hmm. But they're just doing it, like, way more and way harder than anyone else, I feel like. Yeah. It's like, oh, I made it. I made it to the top. Look at my picture. It's like, who took that picture of you? Right. It's the person carrying all of your gear. Who's behind that GoPro? (laughs) Yeah. Who's holding your hand in that that video? (laughs) And the sad thing is that one third of the deaths on Everest are of Sherpas. So if we're talking about deadly jobs, this is the deadliest job pretty much that there is in general. And so why would uh, Sherpa want to do this job? Doesn't sound fun. I don't like it. Well, (laughs) (laughs) it can be arranged, but uh, the salary for Sherpa, and this might shock you, is $40,000 to $75,000 a year on average. So, like, I mean, if you convert it to money in Nepal, I'm sure it's a lot more. But just here in 40k a year, you're like, what? It's like not (laughs) worth life risking employment, in in my opinion. But that's also like, because we live in America, and that's like a lowish to normal salary. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if this was in America, they would have to be making like I mean I would charge like 200 that I no I mean I wouldn't charge anything because I wouldn't go but yeah <laughs> like you would think it would be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars range or something I would charge like tens of thousands to a hundred thousand dollars to do it once like to help yeah once be like this is how much my fee is for getting to the top and back yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna save your life <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like, Elon Musk, you want to go to Everest? That's fine. Give me a billion dollars right. and I'll take you there. There you go, buddy. I gotcha. <laughs> you just need one really rich client and that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, these Sherpas are doing this work a lot. It's not like the tourist who does it once and goes home and never again. I mean, some people do it more than once, but those people are crazy. Um, but a Sherpa can cross that uh, ice pack nearly 40 times in an expedition, carrying stuff back and forth. (laughs) So Hmm. 40 times just going back and forth. And carrying stuff. Yeah. That's carrying very heavy gear, navigating, making sure everyone's okay. It's just, yeah, crazy. And like I mentioned before, there's not a lot of great sources of income in this region. So if you are indigenous to this region, you grow up climbing, you know the territory, it can leave people feeling like the job is not really an option for their families. If they are risking a brutal death 40 freaking times on one part of a trip, they're like, this is what I got to do. And and they do it. And that's, yeah. And Sherpa's... Uh, not enough credit in any regard. In every documentary and every photo, even in John Krakauer's book, there's not a lot of recognition. And I think it's just sad because we just capitalized off of indigenous people risking their lives on their land to take us 
thrill-seeking people up this mountain and they don't really feel like they have even much of a choice so that's the bummer of it all yeah crazy and nearing the end here I do want to circle back uh to Into Thin Air the book I read um which really pushed me to do this because a lot of it I just couldn't believe anyone ever survives this right um because basically yeah I heard someone else on a podcast say that this was a book that like you won't really think that it's that interesting or anything until you get like a certain amount of pages in and then it's just like what because a lot of it is just like backstory details of like this person and this person it's like all these people and you're like I don't know like I can't keep track of this um but then once they start really getting up the mountain you're like oh god so (laughs) into thin air comes out in 1997 and it basically details John's expedition to Mount Everest in the year prior in 96. And during the expedition, eight people died, which was the third highest number of fatalities on the mountain in one day. So just in one day, eight people died. One day, geez. Yeah. Basically, there were three different expedition teams coming down from the summit. So basically, they all make it up. They're like, we did it. We made the summit. Um, But once they start going down, a storm hits, causing hurricane force winds. And it's just a whiteout. They can't see anything and they're also in the zone which is aptly nicknamed the death zone okay so you're already you're already in the death zone and then there's also a whiteout so things aren't great now Krakauer is ahead of some of the people in the group so he actually misses the storm he gets to camp uh, he goes in his tent. That's also when he thought he saw that guy that he didn't actually see. Um, he passes out from exhaustion. Uh, he, he is just in his tent. He's dead to the world. He can't move. He can't think like he is a level of exhaustion that I've never felt, luckily, but it sounds bad. Yeah. And not too far away, other climbers are stranded. They can't see. They can't move. They're running out of oxygen. And the wind is also making it even colder. So they're freezing to death. And they're not even that far away from the base camp. They're like only a few couple of meters or something. Like it was, I forget the distance, but it was like an annoying distance where it's like, you're so close. You're so just close. Like, literally can't see anything. Jeez. <laughs> and you're on a mountain. So it's not like you can just be like rummaging around. Right, right. <laughs> Looking for the edge. Just like, doop to do So some of the climbers are lost, trapped. Uh, they fall, they freeze. Some die trying to rescue others. Uh, There is one climber named Beck Weathers, and he is in dire straits. He and a woman are presumed dead. Uh, They've basically been like, they died of hypothermia, loss of oxygen. They're just like laying there motionless. They've been losing oxygen for a while. People are like, we we just leave them. They're they're dead. Um, The woman did tragically die, um, and she guessing is still up there um but she made it to the top and she made it down part way so kudos to her um Beck however (laughs) he is still hanging on for dear life um so another team comes down and they see two people they know the woman is dead they look at Beck and they're shocked he's actually still alive wow and they're like oh my gosh like he's still alive but they can't do anything they can't get him up they can't can't help him down yeah they can't carry him if they try to get anyone else to help they could possibly die and 
they're like, well, even if we did get him down to camp, he's not going to survive at camp. Like he is going to die in a number of hours in a day. Like he's not going to make it. And we're not going to risk our lives trying to help someone who's already going to die. So it sounds brutal, but they just have to leave him. They can't, they can't do anything. Yeah. So this man is left for dead, but guess what? He, he wakes up. Miracle. I still don't understand it, but he somehow makes it down the mountain. He just like gets up and he makes it down. Jeez. <laughs> and he makes it down to camp and people think they're hallucinating. They're like, he cannot be alive. <laughs> There's oh my no God. And he just did the rest himself. Although I guess yeah. it, it wasn't that long, right? He still had a while. There's still a lot to go. So he, yeah, he basically makes it to camp. They put him in a tent. They wrap him up. And they're like, okay, like, spend the night here. We'll see you in the morning. And everyone just assumes like, he's, he's going to die. Gonna die. <laughs> yeah. They're like, just put, make him comfortable. He's going to die. They're like, okay, we'll see you in the morning. And then they, like, look at each other and they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, imagine you're alive and people are, like, getting ready to, like, dress your corpse. I'm like, all right, we are probably not going to make it. left you. They left you. <laughs> So basically, nobody really checks on him either. Um, not because like they don't care, but like everyone is struggling to survive. Like no one is doing well. Um, so John goes in the next morning into the tent, assuming he's gonna see a dead body and just like say his blessings to Beck and be like, you were a good sport, whatever. Beck is in his sleeping bag screaming <laughs> that he needs help. Um, no one could hear his screams because the wind was so loud. Uh, but Weathers, he can't eat, he can't drink, he, like, some of the sleeping bag fell off of him, so he's freezing. It's, it's a mess. And Jeez. his nose is just gone. Like, his nose is just, like, black. Oh, uh, yeah. It's bad. And somehow, though, he gets up, and they still make it down, and they actually descend to a certain spot where he can be rescued by helicopter. Wow. It was... I want to say it was like the highest up rescue that ever anyone's ever done there. Wow. Uh, because they were like, we got it. Like, he's gonna, like, he's definitely not gonna make it any longer. So we really gotta, we gotta get him on a helicopter. And right. they did. Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyway. And basically, yeah, they take him to the hospital. He had his right arm amputated halfway between the wrist and the elbow. On his left, he lost five fingers all five. Uh, he also lost parts of both feet and his nose had to be amputated all from the frostbite. Wow. Uh, in the years since, he did have nose reconfiguration surgery. And you know what? Great plastic surgeon because it didn't look that bad. I mean, it looks like he, you know, obviously something happened, but like if you lose your nose, it's you know, he's looking okay. Yeah. <laughs> they put a different kind of nose on him. So, it's, you know, <laughs> what it is. They can do, like, face transplants now. Maybe they did, like, a nose transplant. Yeah, just, like, make some cartilage out of something. I don't know. But, yeah, <laughs> he's looking okay. okay. Um, definitely, obviously, you can tell he's lost a lot of body parts. But... Uh, Beck had a one hour long talk on YouTube detailing his whole ordeal and I watched most of it. It is very emotional. Um, yeah. According to the comments, it leaves most people crying and devastated. 
and like amazed by the end. It was a very like sappy YouTube video I was on. Like usually you see the YouTube comments. It's like, you're dumb and ugly. And this one was like, I have been touched by an angel in this video. <laughs> so yeah, he's very, um, very motivational, great speaker. He like goes on his like life's work is now to be like a motivational speaker, which if anyone's going to be a motivational speaker, it should probably be him of like, you think you have it. <laughs> I kept going and I lost a bunch of my limbs and my nose. Yeah. But I mean, does he, do you think he like tells people to climb Everest or is he like, definitely don't do that? <laughs> so that's the thing is like, I've watched a couple interviews of different people. There was this other guy, I don't know who he was, but he lost his toes and he kept showing his feet Ooh. and like, it, like I, not to, you know, be insensitive. I know you lost your toes, but like, I don't know if we need to see that for the full like 60 minute video. <laughs> Just yeah. like, it's a very jarring sight. And he basically was like, I forget the interviewer, but she was like, would you like, do you regret it? And he was like, no, like I knew what I was getting into. Like I knew I could die. I knew I could lose my toes. Like best case scenario, I lose my toes, then die. And yeah. like, I signed up for it. And that's what happened. And that's what it is. That's like what most of the mountaineering people say is like, I wouldn't recommend it unless you're like super qualified and you're ready. And if you're willing to die for it, then do it because you might. <laughs> yeah. Like, very honest about the the perils people of it. Definitely die. And, and yeah. you know, it's like, and it's also weird to think about like, it's not people are like dying less now right yeah if like, anything they're so dying scary. more yeah because <laughs> there's more less experienced people there's more like the crowding also like there's all these lines where people get stuck and then people are just waiting that and you're like hell. waiting for hours there was some video of a guy like on everest like complaining like i cannot get up this mountain because there's all these people in front of me that don't know what they're doing and we're all gonna die here because we're gonna get stuck oh my and god imagine dying waiting in a line on everest yeah, <laughs> death. god you're cold you're in line what's worse <laughs> yeah that's just you can't breathe <laughs> yeah you can't you slowly suffocate in line in line god yeah and into thin air it's not a perfect book it has garnered some controversies um some of the fellow climbers during that expedition they were not happy with john's writing um some noticed inconsistencies again a lot of this could be the mountain madness trauma like people remember trauma differently um it was a mess up there so it might be just people remember different things no one's gonna know really what happened um rob's wife the woman that uh thought her husband was alive and then found out he was dead she was very upset uh with john she felt it was his responsibility to make sure it was the right person and to relay that information correctly oh. and Basically, John has a lot of survivor's guilt. He's like, I made it home. I don't really know. Like, I kind of got lucky. All these other people died. I saw a lot of dead bodies. Yeah. There's nothing I could really do. Like, it, but especially because he was like in the tent and he was so close to the people dying that he was just so exhausted. He couldn't move. Yeah. And he also couldn't find them. It's like, 
there's nothing he really could have done no. but it's still very frustrating yeah so i wouldn't yeah. say it's his fault at all <laughs> yeah he you know has a lot of ptsd so does beck so does probably everyone that goes on that mountain yeah. um <laughs> And yeah, he goes, does a lot of talks. He's also has a 60 minute interview. Um, they just kind of ask all these people, like, do you, do you regret it? They say, not really. Like, I knew what I was doing. Just sucks that it ended up so poorly. But a lot of them still keep climbing afterwards. Um, it's funny. One of my friends read this book and she hated it. She was like, John Krakauer is such an asshole. He was so rude to those people. He thought he was so much better. And it's something where we don't agree because I don't think it was that bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it's up to interpretation. Um, but but yeah, that's basically Everest in a nutshell. It's wow. beautiful. It'll kill you. Sherpas deserve way more money. They're superheroes. Yeah. And you know, don't do something if it's only going to just end up covered in poop, which is what we did. Yeah, we pooped all over Everest. <laughs> yeah. We and died took... all over it. <laughs> we just pooped and died. Pooped Shit and ourselves died. to death. <laughs> oh, no. Wow, that is crazy. And it's definitely, like, I knew it was hard. Like, everyone, everyone like, uses it as a saying for, like, the hardest thing ever is climbing Mount Everest. But like mm -hmm. that really sounds hard. <laughs> yeah, I remember there's an episode of Friends where like Joey is trying to eat like a full Thanksgiving turkey or something. And he's like, You're my Everest. And that yeah. was like the first time I ever heard that phrase as a kid. And I was like, what does that mean? And then now you hear it like all the time, like, this is the Everest of such and such, or this right. is my Everest. And it's like, you know, doing your taxes or something. That's <laughs> stupid. This is my Everest. <laughs> My Everest of 2023 is filing my taxes. It's filing my taxes. Yeah, wow. That is crazy. I don't think I ever want to try that. <laughs> Unless something like really crazy changes in my life. I don't think that's on my list. Yeah. I mean, I feel like bad for Nepal because I feel like Nepal is probably a lovely country and people should just travel there and not feel the need to climb Mount Everest. Like maybe yeah. let's just keep doing that. <laughs> People will feel the need to climb this crazy mountain. Yeah. People are always going to keep climbing it. Like, even when it's, like, covered in trash and poop and bodies. I mean, like, it is now. I just feel like people yeah. are always going to keep climbing it. I mean, there's a 10% chance right now that you would die, since one out of 10 dies. So it could get up to, like, 70%. People still be like, I'll make it, though. Like, I'll we'll do it, though, because I'm special. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. They immediately just, like, fall off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a mountain. Like, you can still fall. <laughs> yeah. And, like, even if you're the healthiest person, like, nobody knows what their body is going to do at that elevation. Like, you could be in great shape, and your brain just, like, cannot handle it. Yeah, and there's nothing that you can train for to it's keep not your like your will. Yeah, yeah, it's like biology. <laughs> I'm gonna will away these hallucinations. Yeah, I'm gonna keep going up this mountain, and yeah, and he also John Krakauer had a migraine at a certain point, and the way he was talking about it, I was just like, oh, that sounds like my migraines. But when I have a migraine, I'm in my bed. <laughs> And I'm not in a tent in 
negative 30 degree weather. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I would, I would just kill myself immediately. <laughs> Migraines are terrible. I can't imagine yeah. what they'd be like on Everest. <laughs> and I know I talked about the poop, but I'm sure there also has to be a lot of throw up. Right. Just in general. Just if it's people are going through that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mo- like the elevation sickness and stuff that makes you nauseous. Like I'm sure there's a lot of frozen puke up there too. Yeah. Gross. My average just sounds gross. Why would anyone want to go there? Yeah. <laughs> You don't want to spend fifty thousand dollars to probably die <laughs> in the cold in line. <laughs> nah, I'm okay. <laughs> and I also didn't put this in, but on last week tonight they said that the top of Mount Everest is the size of two ping pong tables put together. Oh my god. What is up so, there? Are there pictures on the internet of it? Like, can I just see it? Why would I ever oh, go yeah. to see it? You could just Photoshop yourself on there <laughs> and tell people you did it. I did it. <laughs> Summit of Everest. And they'll, and they'll just be like, okay, I guess you did. Because it's like a backdrop that anyone could be in. It's just white. It's right, just, there's right. nothing up. There's not like, oh, the beautiful scenery. But it's like, no. like trinkets. Haven't people left trinkets? <laughs> I no? think there are a bunch of like flags. Okay. Like, there's an American flag and a British flag, I think, and some yeah. stuff. But hopefully there's not too much, because, like, there's not much you can put on two ping pong tables. Right, yeah. <laughs> Imagine you can't fit on the top because it's just, like, littered with, like, teddy bears. And, like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, damn this. <laughs> dead flowers. And you're like, god damn it, I don't even fit. Yeah, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh Everest. I mean, mountains are scary. Nature yeah. is scary. I don't fuck with nature. I mean, she <laughs> will kill you in a second. I don't. The yeah. the winds and the storms and the cold and the heat and the Exposure. bugs and the bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's one thing you don't have to be worried about is like wildlife. Yeah, or that's like the sure. only thing you don't have to worry about. Yeah. They like find out there's like they find out there's bears. Yeah, there's like oh god, the Everest bears, ice bears. (laughs) Yeah, but like, do you think people have gone crazy and murdered like other people in their expedition on Everest? (laughs) I mean, if so, it's a great way to get away with murder because you could just like push somebody off and be like recovered. Yeah, or it could just be like negligence, like oh, I didn't flip on the carabiner enough and he died and fell whoopsie and like can't yeah get tried for murder on that nobody there were no witnesses and who's right. gonna yeah you like he just died and then like the next expedition goes up next year and like he's got a knife in his face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like clearly murdered like, <laughs> like so strangulation really marks. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I mean, there was that guy who, like, he went hiking with his wife, and then his wife fell and died, and he was like, we were taking a picture, and she tripped and fell, and everyone was like, okay, that's tragic, and then they were like, wait, weren't you married before? And he was like, yeah. He's like, how did that wife die? He was like, she also fell. She tripped and fell on Everest, too. 
<laughs> just keeps it's convincing like, oh, wives to climb Everest. <laughs> yikes, you just murdered two women, didn't you? And then I think he went to prison. But it's hard to try that. I don't know how they figured out. I mean, if you do it twice, they will, but... Yeah, it's pretty suspicious. I mean, that's like the staircase uh, murder episode thing. Yeah. You know? Where it's like, oh, like, I guess maybe he didn't kill her, but then you find out the, like, first wife also died by stairs. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Ah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> that one was also... <laughs> that one was crazy, because he was like, yeah, she fell down the stairs, and then it was just, like, gallons of blood. And it was yeah, like, it's like, what? what happens when you fall down the stairs? <laughs> There was also like the funniest thing for me is the the owl theory. Do you know the owl theory? Yeah, I know about the owl theory. <laughs> it's just like, why? <laughs> yeah, and there was like one theory for the blood. I think in particular where they're like she fell and there could be some blood, but then she just kept slipping in it over yeah, and, and like over falling and, over. and hitting her over and over. Like a like, cartoon character. Yeah, like, that is terrible if that's how it happened, but, like, unlikely. Yeah. Also, if I die by an owl, I'm getting real pissed. That's <laughs> just a pesky bird. Flies yeah, that is so annoying. <laughs> I'd be pissed, too. Especially because it's, like, an owl. They're, like, majestic night creatures. Like, yeah. they're not, they are birds of prey, but, like, not the typical ones you think of. Yeah, they're birds of prey to, like, chipmunks. Yeah. <laughs> not to people. <laughs> yeah all right yeah. well i'm never gonna climb everest yeah i really i mean after this i don't want to climb a mountain in general but i probably will um <laughs> yeah i probably will too i want to ice climb i want to like pick, have picks and like be picking my way across ice <laughs> like um cornelius in rudolph the red-nosed reindeer <laughs> I'm not really familiar with that movie. I know oh. it's, it's like a claymation movie, right? That was a niche reference, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What's his Yukon Cornelius? He's like this big ginger man. He has an ice pick the whole time. He's very attractive. You like grow up and you're like, why do they make that man hot? <laughs> why is Yukon Cornelius so sexy? <laughs> you should just look him up. He can get it. And I don't know why, but he's he's a mountain man. Play <laughs> mountain man can get it. <laughs> Alright, well good on Cornelius. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was Mount Everest explained away.